0: All right, this morning we're going to do something different because I always like to mix it up. So let's stand for the reading of the word this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians uh, 1, 3 through 14, if you would like to read along. How blessed is God, what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all of our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, He is working in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth, and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God, the first installment of what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. The word of the Lord. You may sit down. All right, so we're taking a, a brief hiatus from the Gospel of Mark in our lectionary. And going into Ephesians, this is the first week in Ephesians, so that's why we're starting in chapter one. Uh, we'll do Ephesians. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to do two weeks in Ephesians. We'll see where, see where it goes from there. You know I usually like to stick with the Gospels, but uh, I feel like you know, we should mix it up this morning. This is a good passage to mix it up with. Um, many of you may know uh, the Jesuit priest, James Martin. Does anybody know James Martin? He's, oh, yeah. James is great. Um, he posted this on Instagram this morning. It's a picture of, not Mission Hills, Um, it's a picture of Dorothy Day, if we have that, Julie. Um, James Martin, I promise, he he posted a picture of Dorothy Day on Instagram this morning, and he said yesterday he was asking uh, another Catholic worker, Tom Cornell, um, what Dorothy would say about our current times. And he said she'd be upset But she'd say, we have no right, I don't know if you can read that, it's kind of small. She would say, we have no right to despair. We have a duty to hope. And I think a lot of us, if you're anything like me, have just like a low-grade despair pretty often during these times. Um, There's a lot going on, a lot to absorb in the media. But we have no right to despair. So this morning we're going to be talking about grace grace. As an antidote for despair. Uh, More conservative churches don't like to talk about grace because it ends up kind of being, they think it's a license that people will go out and do whatever kind of immorality uh, conservative churches are afraid that people will engage in. So they don't like to talk about grace. My friend, uh, makes this comment often. He says, churches uh, that tend to be on the more conservative end usually have sermons that are something like, um, 10 ways to try harder this week. Like, that's kind of what you get at conservative churches. But I've also noticed that uh, a lot of progressive churches, we're a more progressive church, uh, don't like grace either. Because we think that it absolves people from actually having to, to live like Jesus and engage the poor, the marginalized, the hurting. I think it also, uh, you know, grace uh, without conditions forces us to consider that the people that are responsible for a lot of the immoral treatment that we see commonly in our society today, that these people are also covered by the same grace. And we don't like to talk about that. Progressive churches don't like this. So we talk about inclusion a lot. We talk about radical love for the marginalized. And then we kind of like turn away from the oppressors because that's, uh, It's a little bit more difficult. Nelson Mandela famously said, I knew as well as I knew anything that the oppressor must be liberated, surely as the oppressed. The author in Ephesians in this text writes of a very certain reality that's different than the one that we see in our divisive culture of despair. The author of Ephesians is teaching us, I think, what we already know to be true, but often don't want to admit that all is grace, all is grace. Before our time, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus in this, all is grace. Quote, he set out before us in Christ a long range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, deepest heaven and everything on planet earth. The grace of God is beyond anything that any one of us here could ever comprehend, internalize, externalize, work toward, meditate enough for, serve enough for, build enough for, love enough for. Grace is not dependent on what you think, where you're from, how much money you have, how much anxiety that you have for the justice how many countries you've been to, what kind of car you drive, or how awesome you might think you are. You can't get grace in a book or an app. There are so many meditation apps, aren't there? So many (laughs) self-help podcasts that just give us one more thing to do or one more thing to cut out of our lives, and then we would find it. Is it minimalism, or is it maximalism? I don't know. Should I have more friends, or deeper friendships? Should I engage people I disagree with, or cut the toxic people out of my life? You will not discover grace on the mountain, or at the retreat, is not sitting behind a Patreon paywall, or a subscription service. Grace is not 10 steps away, or three easy payments away. You can't self-help your, self help your way into grace. It's already been enough for the universe and enough for you even before you were born. There's no guru. There's no master. There are no priests that will ever bring you the answers you're looking for. Grace is celebrating and accepting what God has already done for you and everyone else. It's radical. It's controversial. Grace is a wild, wild wave that covers everyone in its break. The great Robert Capon, because you can't talk about grace unless you quote Capon, says, Grace is the celebration of life, relentlessly hounding all the non celebrants in the world. It is floating, it is a floating cosmic bash, shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging sweetness of its cassations to every window, pounding at every door in hilarity beyond all liking and all happening until the prodigals come out at last in dance and the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears. Grace isn't found in a religion, a megachurch, a small church. Grace doesn't come through coercion and it cannot be fought for or won. Grace doesn't need our offerings or your service. It doesn't need your thoughts and your prayers. I believe this is the truth of the universe and the meaning of the gospel, that there is nothing you can ever think, say, or do that excludes you from the all-consuming avalanche of God's love and acceptance for you. That there is nothing you can ever think, say, or do that excludes you from the all-consuming avalanche of God's love and acceptance of you. Grace is the very way of God, which is so freely given that it needs nothing from you. Grace is the chaotic, impassionate acceptance for everything and everyone since the beginning of time, beyond time, before the singularity of the universe, pulsating through every subatomic particle, the dust that makes you, you, and me, me, is already brought together in the unity of Christ, called good, loved, and liberated. So this is the Earth. I think we have a picture of the Earth. The Earth is in there somewhere. Uh, next slide. So there's the Earth. So there's, there's eight pictures here. So we have the Earth. The Earth is about 4.5 billion years old, give or take uh, a billion or so. 4.5 billion years old. And then we can see, it's so small, I'm sorry. Uh, but next to it, if you can imagine, is our solar system. Our solar system is so big that the Earth makes up 0. .0003 of the total mass of our solar system. Our solar system's pretty big. Next you see our galaxy. So that's, uh, if you could see yourself right there, uh, that's the Milky Way. The Milky Way galaxy is our home. Um, we orbit the galactic center at a distance of about 28,000 light years. Our neighborhood is home in the Milky Way galaxy to roughly 400 billion stars just in the Milky Way. We live in a bigger city though, so the next photo to your right uh, is called our local group. It's a local galaxy cluster where the Milky Way galaxy is a part of. In our local group, we have about 47 other Galaxies, including our own, but we live in a bigger state. This uh, next one is our supercluster family over here. Within our supercluster, on the bottom left here, uh, there's about a uh, hundred other galaxy clusters. So what we see on the top right, there's about a hundred other galaxy clusters in the bottom left there each with billions of their own p- stars and planets. So hundreds of galaxy clusters, billions of stars and planets. But it's still bigger than that. The observable universe, as we move further to the right, actually contains um, tw- it's 28 billion light years that we can roughly estimate uh, and 90 billion light years in uh, diameter. And within our known universe, which is you know, an estimate. There's about 10 billion more superclusters. 10 billion more superclusters. <laughs> um, that each contain millions of their own galaxies. <laughs> uh, and the universe, as you may know, is still expanding. Uh, the, the universe is so big that they say uh, radio message, messages sent from Earth would probably never be able to traverse all of space, even traveling at the at the speed of light, because the universe is expanding faster than it could traver- than light could traverse. Um, the next the slide that Julie posted, uh, there is a guy named um, Pablo Carlos Badassi, which is an awesome name, uh, and he tried to take some uh, logarithmic maps of the universe using NASA images and images uh, from uh, the University of Princeton and to try to condense everything uh, in our observable universe into one shot, and this is what he developed. It's a pretty beautiful, if you look it up um, online, it's a pretty beautiful image, but trying to condense all of the known universe into one photo. The expanse of the universe, time and place, uh, it not only puts perspective on my individual, gives me perspective for my individual life, uh, but maybe the very notion of what I consider the divine. Does God's grace cover the range of the known and unknown universe? Also, I was researching this week when I was looking up all of this information. Uh, only about 5% of observable matter is known or uh, what they call normal matter. That almost the entire universe is made up of unknown uh, matter or dark energy. Just unbelievable that that small of a percentage makes up. Um, what even our best scientific minds can comprehend. Does God's grace cover the range of the known and unknown universe? What is the force of creation that considers all we see and all we don't see within the bounds of God's love and grace? All is grace, all is grace, all is grace. From the farthest supercluster to us sitting in this room. Long before He laid the foundations of the earth, she had us in mind, had, a, uh, had settled on us as the focus of her love to be made whole and holy by her love. Said another way, my grace is enough, it's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. I think this passage is kind of paradoxical to our understanding of how we operate in culture, which says you should know more, you should do more, you should be more, you should have more. Our strengths can actually work as an impediment to experiencing the grace within the universe. Our strengths can block us from understanding true acceptance as we are wholly accepted, as Paul Tillich would say. Life becomes about uh, different ways that we can prove ourselves. The author of Ephesians is saying here, I don't want you to get hung up... um, on trying to prove yourself because Christ has already completed everything since the foundation of the universe. It's difficult to allow God's grace into our lives because it requires us to let go. The Trappist monk, Thomas Keating, considers grace as God's self communication, which includes everything happiness and suffering. Only grace has the ability to transcend and include all there is. And as Brendan Manning says, all is grace and God is grace. Thomas Keating says, it's easy to see why AA in the community of grace is so important because we are powerless over ourselves. We realize this. Since we don't have immediate awareness of a higher power and how it works, we need to be constantly reminded of our commitment to freedom and liberation. We can feel despair from the very depths of our being. Something in us causes our whole being to cry out, help. That's when the steps begin to work. That is when the spiritual journey begins to work. A lot of activities that people in that category regard as spiritual are not communicating to them experientially their profound dependence on the grace of God to go anywhere with their spiritual practices or observances that's why religious practice can be so ineffective. Real spirituality depends on our acknowledging the unmanageability of our lives. Divine grace picks us up when we sincerely believe nobody else will. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had his designs on us for a glorious living, part of the overall purpose she is working out in everything and everyone. Grace is the celebration of life in the midst of despair, realizing that everyone and everything we see and don't see is a miracle. Like Dorothy Day said, or might say, we have no right to despair. We have a duty to hope. This comes from, I think, a deep experience of acceptance without condition. The persistence of Christ in the universe and in our lives is inescapable and unending. So this morning, may we let go and ride the wave of grace that has caught us in this miracle that we find ourselves living in. May we celebrate the life we've been given and realize there is nothing we have to do for God's grace. Let's take a moment in quiet reflection.